if let's say you have a history of trauma um you know like everyone um you may misperceive that there's danger but your body is still going into that state of hyperarousal and this in and of itself is a pretty toxic state that's an excerpt from my conversation with today's guest clinical social worker Teresa Rogers this is today plus everything conversations in an anxious time Ian Ebright. I'm a writer, director, producer, and actor-ish, and the host of this podcast. We recorded uh, today's episode in late September uh, in 2020, and my gut tells me that whenever you find this podcast, the thesis of the episode, that we are in anxious times, therefore, how do we navigate anxious times, will be very, very true. Uh, And I don't have to say much about how unprecedented this year and this, you know, whatever you want to call it season is. And so I tried to think of like the best person, the most credible person I could find to speak on how do we navigate anxious times, you know, in films I've seen documentaries, maybe in music or like in literature or on a newscast. And I kept coming back to someone I happen to know, which will be rare for this uh, podcast, my therapist, Teresa Rogers, who has also become through therapy for about a, a 10 years, which is crazy to realize now with the particular last two years being the most intense and kind of deep dive weekly sessions for the most part. Teresa Rogers has become um, like a family member. She's a dear friend to me and someone that I love uh, deeply because she's had such a profoundly helpful uh, impact on my life. And so what we wanted to do was the opposite of the self-indulgent thing where we sort of cryptically talk about my life with the listener as the fly on the wall. That's gross and boring and who cares? What we want to do it is from the sort of the total opposite of healthcare is expensive and complicated and elusive. And the same can be true for therapy, which is a huge bummer because therapy can be so helpful. So I wanted to take sort of the greatest hits of Teresa and jam pack them into the best free hour of therapy that we could ever offer. And these are things that my best guess is these are kind of universally helpful things. At the end, we will um, end with some advice from Teresa and then actually do sort of a quote unquote live exercise that's been really, she does it, I follow. It's really helpful for me as someone who has ADHD uh, diagnosed as well as diagnosed complex PTSD. Uh, and those are things that I take meds for and I go to therapy to work through and, you know, meds and therapy and I'm a person of faith and I have other tools in the toolbox that I use. All of these things have kind of worked together, I, I believe, to help me do much better with these things. But I'm someone who knows anxiety and depression really well. And this exercise I found really helpful. Uh, I want to say something about sort of caveat this episode before I go any farther. Uh, Teresa describes herself as a spiritual person, but she doesn't express my particular faith affiliation. And I wanted to say, you know, people who know me prior to the film thing, most of them know me as a blogger on faith and human rights. And so they would know about my like very complicated upbringing, sort of conservative, evangelical, fundamentalist Christian. And I want to just say to anybody who is listening to this now, If you have a complicated relationship with religion, past or present, just hang in there with the language that Teresa uses. Uh, I believe, being the person myself, that this would also be true of initially, that the language of therapy can be very kind of spooky and threatening, especially to straight white dudes like me who are trained to just like bury the volcano. 
But if you hang in there, I think what she's sharing is in some weird ways, like kind of scary basic, but we've been conditioned away from this stuff. But it's also congruent, in my opinion, with any uh, faith expression or faith affiliation, non-faith affiliations. Again, this is really about like the here and now and behavior and thoughts and not about like conceptual things that we do or don't think. And hopefully the cheesy thing about how I'm living proof or whatever. Okay, enough about that. Teresa Rogers earned her um, bachelor's degree in English before going on to get a master's of social work from the UW. She's been a clinical social worker for 30 years, which looks like therapy in a one-on-one setting with individuals and couples uh, described as psychodynamic psychotherapy. It's a specialty. uh, Her specialty was derived from work by John Bowlby and Alan Shore with an importance on early attachment, childhood upbringing, and how these sort of experiences um, interact with, you know, less than ideal moments, essentially, I would, I would think dysfunction, but this is me paraphrasing probably poorly. She also cites uh, Stephen Porges and the polyvagal theory, which to me, again, the layperson doesn't sound too far off. In a nutshell, it's about how the nervous system is impacted by trauma. We're formed and to survive, we learn coping mechanisms that served us for a time until we're adults and they're not serving us at all. And so I hope that you find this hour long talk on navigating anxious times really helpful. So Teresa, I want to say, you know, a handful of phrases, Um, self-care, listening to your body, rest, breathing, finding your voice, meditation, being present, trauma and intentionality. Um, I'm curious why phrases like this and phrases including this are so often considered in the U.S., kind of feminine and frou-frou in a pejorative way, why collectively we're so opposed to language that helps us sort of see ourselves as we are and to slow down in, in ourselves. I think that's a really good question. And I immediately had a bunch of uh, images that were going through my mind as you're describing that to me, Ian. Um, and I'll come back to that. But I guess I'd say... Um, in a pretty simple or straightforward way that um, what you're describing, I think, is probably related uh, to the rather patriarchal view that permeates Western culture, uh, this Western civilization phenomenon of what Descartes said about, I think, therefore I am, rather than I feel, therefore I am. Um, So the patriarchal view uh, lacks a sense of inclusion in the coherence of the universe and the cosmos. And and with that perspective, um, people in Western culture often try to maintain control through aggression and competition using um, strategies that separate them from their own biology, their own humanity. Mm. And most importantly, separates them from loving connections with others. And the (laughs) images that were coming through my mind, right as you were describing that to me, Ian, was um, the current phenomenon in the White House with Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump as the example of that Western patriarchal view 
of um, com competition and aggression and not being connected to their bodies. You know, there are role models, there are leaders and they're laying down the path. And um, when we use language that doesn't attempt to control and allows for trust and respect for the unique dimensions of every person, people who live with the belief that they need to control and dominate others, they, they end up negating the trust and love that helps humans human relationships uh, in coherence with um, biology, the biology of love. It's, it's a fundamental bond between the mother and her baby and a culture that honors the optimal development of children respects this biological imperative. And that is the opposite, the exact opposite of what our culture right now in the United States, probably since the beginning of time when we landed, yeah. <laughs> that's mine that's mine that's mine rape and pillage Take that's everything. so freaky this as you're saying this this reminds me of i mean the the years i've spent with you and how many things feel scary obvious now that were so I know. that were that were just i have had so many moments with you that are now almost like truisms, but before <laughs> you had to work me out of that, it, it was, I was, com I don't know how to de like describe it. It was a complete wall. I mean, honestly, I remember times when I feel like we spent weeks where you just had to kind of reinforce over, over and over. I mean, I would almost like confide something in you and our therapy sessions. And then I would immediately work to diminish it or to like, do the work of protecting right. the source that made me believe that thing. And you would say, Hey, Ian, hold on a that's second. Right. But, but that's how you feel. And I'd say, yeah, 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 yeah. But they were just doing this or it's actually like this. Like the minute mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I started to expose to you a feeling, I did the work on behalf of the thing that had taught me to put it away. And I swear it took many weeks for me to finally right. have the light bulb moment right. with you of, because again, I was coming from this place of, yeah, but feelings are frou-frou, Teresa. We're doing this, we're veering into feminine territory and I'm a guy and I don't want to do that. And you finally were like, hey, <laughs> you know, you had to do it for like many times and you're finally like, hey, basically summarizing. Um, Ian, why don't we start with what's true? Because mm -hmm. if you're mm -hmm. feeling it, it doesn't mean you're going to feel it forever, but it's it's real enough for you to have, it's not a passing thought for you. It's sort of, it, it's in your gut. It's mm -hmm. something that is really, mm -hmm. you're stuck on. So why don't we, <laughs> before you mm -hmm. say it and then immediately rush to put it away, <laughs> why don't we start with what's true mm -hmm. and know that if you're feeling it, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean it's true in the capital mm -hmm. T it, forever eternity enduring sense, mm -hmm. but it's true enough that mm -hmm. it, it is bothering you to this point. So let's mm -hmm. start there. And mm -hmm. I don't think I'll, I've had at least a dozen of these moments with you of, I felt like, um, I, I don't even know the description, but it was like someone, you know, the magic eye, those things we used to look at that were selling in like the nineties, those paintings where if you stare at them, you like see the different uh -huh. thing stare uh -huh. long enough. It was like, yeah. my life is a magic eye. And I had always seen the image as one way. Mm -hmm. And you kept right. saying, stare at it for a little bit longer. And I was like, oh, it's showing me something totally different. And mm -hmm. I had always thought that I was this, oh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a writer, so I'm perceptive. And 
I read the world around me and I read myself so well. And one of the hilarious and also kind of like frightening things in your example of McConnell and Trump and in me being the gar- garden variety guy who knows he needs help is like I was walking around <laughs> with my like nose in the air like, no, 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 I got this. I got the world around me and I got me. And I, I couldn't even begin to accept feelings that I had. Well, it's interesting what you described, the, just that um, image of walking around with your head up high is actually a physiological response to fear. And just when we lift up our chin, we're, we're divorcing ourselves from our body. You're effectively cutting yourself off and you're just going to live in your left brain and nothing else exists. That's that, that when you see Trump or really, I guess anybody, not just him with their head up high like that. Um, and their, and their chin stretched out and their neck stretched out. It's, um, it's a sign of a, aggression and it's a good way to, um, know when somebody's actually fearful and and so they're trying to go away Whoa. from how they feel. Yeah. I've never, I've never, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. You're doing that unconsciously. It's a physiological response that you're describing. Wow. Mm-hmm. And again, we, you know, I, this is almost a side thing, but it's mm-hmm. getting at what you're saying about sort of the West and patriarchy. Um, and that we're really like, you know, this, like, I like the phrase conflict of interest, but we're really like incentivized to a not know ourselves mm-hmm. and B double down on the narrative. Yeah. It's just Big time. scary. Unlike what's actually going on. Totally. It's a, it's a, I think it's, I mean, I don't want to get into conspiracy theories, but it almost feels like, wow, this, I, I'm realizing now that Trump admires Putin because Putin decided to monetize his country. Mm. And I think that's what Trump is doing. And if you can double down on fear, then you can sell. It's a commercial loop. It's a, it's a capitalistic loop to sell people on fear and then now you can't leave your house and now you have to watch watch fox news all day and now you have to buy products online to make you feel better or go to the liquor store <laughs> i was gonna say buy the like a like 180 year supply of food what is that stuff called the apocalypse <laughs> food <something? laughs> jim baker you know the guy who yeah. went, I think he went to prison yeah. for fraud or whatever but yeah. like, like vic Berger is he edits stuff to make it even more absurd which uh-huh he's awesome and he edits jim baker has a show now with his wife and they sell like oh, to exactly no way. everyone out and then they sell the most insane <laughs> like buckets <of laughs> where's my canned goods <laughs> yeah <laughs> like you i'm that's an amazing thing i also hadn't thought of it that it's, it's like a it's a sort of a capitalist loop built on fear yeah well, and going back to that idea of, of Western culture, and um, it's the phenomenon of uh, uh, divorcing ourselves from a biological imperative. When Citizens United uh, became uh, went through the Supreme Court, became law, you look at that right there. You divorced uh, individuals in favor of companies now being real people. And I think that that is exactly right. why Trump has chosen Amy Barrett. What's her name as Supreme Court justice nominee? Mm-hmm. Because 
it's not really the abortion thing. It's really about how she um, is getting ready to continue that course with uh, Mitch McConnell's help of, um, you know, making us more into a a company uh, country. (laughs) Oh, man. Instead of Putin having Trump's hands in the pockets. Well, you're getting at something, this idea of like what we do when we're in a state of fear. I want to get to a little bit, but um, I know that uh, before we get there, your background and one of like the most foundational ways you've helped me is helping me understand the present, which is, you know, my life and my struggles or sort Mm -hmm. of, you know, (laughs) beliefs about myself and the world around me that aren't helping me and how much those have been shaped by my formative years, you know, for Mm -hmm. me. A very sick dad, you know, the things that happen in a home of sort of perpetual stress related to near death illness and things and um, talk, you know, I was mentioning a minute ago how much I resisted you for a long time on my present feelings. (laughs) And another thing I resisted was this idea that there was anything to see in the past. I remember (laughs) one of your great lines. um, I had mentioned something from the past. And again, the minute I said it, I was ready to sort of defend it. Mm-hmm. on behalf of the belief I'd always have. Mm-hmm. And you smiled um, in the way, just one of the things I love about you. <laughs> you're, mm-hmm. smirking, you're like, well, let's start there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, it has, this is another one of those things that after doing the work with you and continuing to do the work with you, now that I'm on the other side of accepting that, you know, not in a way of passing the buck and blame of, oh, it's all the past fault. I bear no responsibility. Right. right. I want to talk more about the way that the past and trauma informs our present. Um, I like this page on Facebook called black therapist rule. And they shared something recently. Um, I'll credit mm-hmm. the person uh, underscore at uh, sorry, at D R K underscore S A P P. And I want to share these with you, Teresa, and then get your feedback. Okay. This person lists uh, 12 dysfunctional family characteristics as follows. And of course you can disagree with or challenge any of these. Number one, acceptance is conditional. Number two, submission is required. Number three, someone must be blamed for problems. Number four, vulnerability is dangerous. Number five, you must take sides. Number six, there's not enough love or respect to go around. Number seven, feelings must be repressed. That's eerily on point for what you were just saying. Mm -hmm. Number eight, competition, not cooperation rules a day. Mm -hmm. Also eerily on point to what Mm -hmm. you were just saying. Mm -hmm. Number nine, and this is like, you know me. Uh, this is so me in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Where I started with you, appearances are more important than substance. I mean, mm-hmm. it makes the hairs on my arm stand up. Mm-hmm. Number ten, rage is normalized, and eleven is mistreatment and neglect oh. are denied. And oh. boy, if that's not oh, our present wow. national mm-hmm. landscape, right? Yeah. Mistreatment. You yeah. know, I can right. abusively scare the living right. shit out of you. But then I will tell right. you, I never did that. And trust me, yeah. it's it's the boogeyman. This is actually, you know, the first guest I had on this podcast did yeah. an expert job of making this yeah. point. I, I, as the politician, I don't have to offer you anything. I just mm-hmm. have to prove that the other guy is a greater menace. And so if I, the politician to mm-hmm. number 11 of these, I'm mistreating and neglecting you in a national sense, mm-hmm. I just deny it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. for a lot of mm-hmm. us that grew up in that, uh, or if anyone happened to grow up in that, that's, you can correct this too, but I would guess that Trump feels oddly comforting for someone because he's dysfunctional in a way that a lot of us, uh, a lot of people in general know. Mm -hmm. And the 12th Mm -hmm. one, 
in this list of dysfunctional family char- characteristics is that there is a lack of psychological safety. Mm-hmm. Totally. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm guessing that of those dozen dysfunctions that are listed, that those are pretty close to things uh, that would kind of form your thesis about why our upbringing and trauma are so uh, formative to who we are presently. And when I'm saying who we are, I'm not caring at all about what we do for a living. I'm not, I'm not caring about any of the boxes that we check in terms of status. I'm talking about like the person that we carry around in terms of thoughts and feelings. Do you, can you kind of build on that a yeah. little bit or correct any of that if you disagree? Well, um, this to me, Ian, is the juicy part. This is like the yummy, yummy, yummy part (laughs) (laughs) of what I love every day about my work. Um, Because it's fascinating to to know, newsflash, um, hey, we didn't all just today arrive here in a bubble or a vacuum. (laughs) There's There's a context uh, to all of us. Um, and the context typically starts with, um, in utero, what was it like, uh, for our mother to be pregnant with us? What was happening in the world around her? How safe was she? Was she, uh, pregnant during, um, uh, Nazi occupation of, um, you know, Belgium, uh, or Poland during war, World War II? Uh, or was she living through um, the Great Depression uh, or the Dust Bowl in uh, the United States? So on a, on a basic level, if you're a kid who grows up in an environment that's good enough socially and emotionally, you're going to grow up as an integrated whole. Um, your creativity and your sense of yourself and your confidence will just emerge organically. And as you grow, you'll learn how to protect your emotional self in a healthy way. But healthy development is compromised for a kid whose sense of self is um, repeatedly threatened. This happens if a child is abused or neglected, if your needs are invalidated, if you're made to feel inadequate and missing in some in a, some essential value, um, if our sense of ourself is threatened, and here's the important part: your sense of self is threatened, and there's nobody who can help us to metabolize our pain. Hmm. You're on your own. Then we'll become psychologically traumatized. So when we talk about trauma, we're talking about small t trauma. Big t trauma is Um, you know, watching somebody drown or almost drowning yourself or a car accident, et cetera. Small T trauma is this. Uh, And it it all goes back to what was the environment in which you and your brain were growing. Hmm. Um, and, and, And going back to this, what you were describing earlier, Ian, about how... How do we survive an environment where, let's say, our mom um, is not attuned, doesn't read the nuances of your little baby self, or is aggressively in your face, 
or um, ignores you, what happens, and this is the part that's really fucking cool, is that um, human beings are hardwired um, to do this. At this point, a psychological survival system kicks in. It's called a self-care system, which I love um, that idea of of our self-care system is that when you're just a kid, the survival system doesn't have many options. A healthy reaction to unbearable pain, yep, is to withdraw from the source of injury. But because we depend on our parents for survival, we can't leave. So part of ourselves withdraws instead. We go away, and it's protective. It's our version of self-care. Yeah. Right? And you've made this point, which, I mean, again, I say a a dozen or so epiphanies. There's more than that. But it's like, you know, correct any of this if I'm sort of paraphrasing it wrong. But it's like the first thing to do is to say if something's not working for you presently, let's take me as the generic example at 40. You know, you reach midlife and realize oh, I need some help with things. Like there's some, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know what I don't know, but something's really off. And one of the things that you had done in years previous with me is say like, <clears throat> again, I wanted to kind of put up a guard against you and be like, oh, this is frou-frou. No, I don't want to like honor feelings. That feels weird. And you, again, to paraphrase, it was like, well, let's just acknowledge that this was a survival thing that helped you get to here. So what I'm not fast forward, what I choose, right. I'm not fast forwarding to say is that it will serve you for all time. I'm just saying, acknowledge that it started as a necessity because you mm-hmm. developed some things on your own to survive. And then the second half of that is now we can, you know, I think you call it neuroplasticity, but mm-hmm. with sort of unlearning or positive reinforcement, we can learn to do new things because what worked for a time as a kid to survive um, in a vacuum is not going to serve us when we're 30 or 40. Am I close on that? Or what would you Mm -hmm. add or correct on that? Oh, man, no, spot on. I mean, I I think the way you just described that, Ian, when I listen to you saying that, I think, what a profound gift, what a kindness to ourselves, that our body and our mind and our brain and our soul are all on the same page to protect us from unbearable anguish. Mm. I mean, it's it's when you think about it in that way, it's such a kindness, it's a gift that we're we're, we're able to take care of ourselves in that way. Um, but what once serves you well, as you grow into adulthood, your earliest attachment relationships. Um, will have long-lasting uh, effects on the structure of your emotional brain mm. and your relationships with yourself and others. What you're describing and what you have had to really, like it's so weird to say because people will hear retrain and they'll think like Nazi Germany. Like mm-hmm. I have the mm-hmm. metal prongs holding my eyelid open and being forced. It's like, <laughs> it, it's, not, it's not that. Don't tell me one. <laughs> yeah, it's not scary. It's just that if for, you know, whatever, 20 to 30 to 40 to 60 years, you have had one message that you've told yourself, you have to unlearn it and relearn it. So blah. But mm-hmm. what you're getting at that has, I mean, continues to be a surprise. And I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> Is this thing that you describe, and I've heard other uh, medical professionals um, describe high arousal and low arousal. And 
Can you help people? Because I don't know that this is a really common thing, although what it does to us are things we're super familiar with. Actually, kind of thankfully, I think this is maybe my generation is the first that's really Mm -hmm. creating space for mental health. So we hear about anxiety and depression all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's positive. But what I worry about is it's not like contextual or really rooted in anything. So we don't really know where it's coming from or what Mm -hmm. to do with it. We're just like, I have anxiety, I'm depressed. And like, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that in a judgy thing at Mm -hmm. all, because I have both. But can you help explain what's been helpful for Mm -hmm. me about you is unpacking this high arousal, low arousal. So in the context of the things we learned when we were young, if we were neglected or abused, or there was trauma sort of externally that the family didn't create, but had to navigate. And we learned to survive imperfectly because we're in a way alone. What is, how Mm -hmm. is high arousal and low arousal shaped? And can you explain that and how that spills into adult life in ways that are not helpful? I want to sort of lay the groundwork for this and describe, <clears throat> again, going back to this idea of good enough, the good enough early nurturing that fosters, fosters uh, neural networks in the right brain, which enable us to regulate our emotions. We grow up trusting our emotions. Hey, emotions, those are good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because it's information. And as a result, we developed an embodied, deeply rooted, you know, an implicit sense of inner security. In contrast, in, if you're in a, growing up in a poor environment, that hurts the development of the right hemisphere of your brain, literally. Unregulated emotions overload the system. And, and because we can't, we can't tolerate being emotionally overloaded, we learn to dissociate for emotions and, and to prevent, prevent them from... Um, you know, reaching our own awareness too painful. So as an example, the face of an attuned mom, attuned mom uh, is, is really softly looking at your eyes, looking into your eyes. She's noticing your, all of your body language, all the little muscles in your face to discern you. And that then gets encoded. It's written to into your baby's right brain. And this acts as an emotionally containing and comforting guidance system when our mom, our mom isn't around anymore. And if mom isn't attuned, checked out, or you know, perpetually aggressive, a, a baby will create an internal model that says people are not trustworthy. And he can't really connect to them. And he's unworthy of being loved. And again, that goes back to the messages we create in our mind that comfort us. Uh, I uh, can't bear that my mother um, doesn't uh, isn't attuned to me and doesn't really seem to love me, um, and I don't want her to be the source of that. It must be me. It's comforting. So we do that. I'm not deserve, deserving of her love. And then there are these unconscious ways of being... Uh, uh, guiding us into lifelong behavior. Hmm. And so what happens then is um, in terms of the nervous system, and this stuff's pretty interesting too, is related to Stephen Porges polyvagal theory is that. Um, so now you've got this uh, child has grown up in an environment, which doesn't inherently feel safe, but he's trying to pretend like it is. <laughs> uh, and, um, he perceives a threat. It's either real or it's imagined. 
and uh, the sympathetic nervous system comes on and um, the body releases cortisol and adrenaline and we're getting ready to flee or fight. Um, that's a state of hyper arousal. Now you're in um, a state of um, aggressive terror. Hyper arousal is this thing that's going to save our life with regard to this perception of danger, danger, danger. Yeah. And you'll notice if you're in your body and can describe it, you'll notice, oh, my, my heart rate is really fast. Um, my uh, breathing is really fast and shallow. Yeah. Um, it's, it's all hands on deck because <laughs> shit's right. going down. Right. <laughs> and your, and your sympathy, your nervous system, your, uh, I thought sympathetic- you said, I thought you said ship, ship nope. is going down. And I well, was like, too. you, you completed that metaphor really well, but you said <laughs> shit's going down. It's going down. <laughs> what, um, to your point earlier about being in a cycle of fear, what happens to us as human beings? And I, I mean that more than just the phrase. I mean, what, what is, what happens to us as like embodied present people, Right. So if you're embodied and you have somatic awareness, let's then imagine that if you've been triggered into or you've noticed, you're perceiving, um, you know, aggress- uh, there's something really dangerous happening. Mm-hmm. Your hyperarousal, you'll recognize it as I need to get the fuck out of Dodge. I need, <laughs> I need to flee right this minute yeah. <laughs> or I need to get ready to fight. And your body is equipped to do that in that moment. And if, let's say, you have a history of trauma, um, you know, like everyone, um, you may misperceive that there's danger, but your body is still going into that state of hyperarousal. And this in and of itself is a pretty toxic state. Yeah. And so what, what then happens is you um, drop down into hypoarousal. And it's there's like... Um, opiate um that are released um that numb you out and Mm. instantly trigger a a pain uh reducing analgesia i mean you there's an anesthesia that's released from your own brain to block out pain you have a great analogy of so that i'm in the woods and the bear is circling and Mm -hmm. i've like you know i've uh, again correct any of this if i like characterize it wrong but hype Spur arousal or high arousal is like I'm still mm-hmm. frantically, mm-hmm. anxiously looking for the escape, and you know, the adrenaline is firing, mm-hmm. and my body can do that, but I'm up. And then at the moment, mm-hmm. I realize like there is no escape. I'm going to be eaten alive. I drop down, mm-hmm. and the metaphor is like you know, almost like dropping into depression or worse. I just lay on the mm-hmm. ground and play dead. Like mm-hmm. I sort of surrender to the. Mm-hmm. the hopelessness of the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, the, right. That's a good description, Ian. That, um, And again, this is all totally instinctive. Our body just does this for us, where it drops us down into a state of dissociation. I don't want to feel that bear crunching down on my neck. <laughs> and so <laughs> the, the body just drops us down into dissociation, disembodiment, I'm here, but I'm not here. You're playing possum. You, you're limp, um, and um, you can't feel anything at that moment. Freaky. Um, yeah, it's it, but it's you know amazing, um, right? But it's like anything that's you know seems really yummy at the time. You can <laughs> <laughs> unconsciously you can end up using it 
all the time and basically yeah. end up walking around in a state of dissociation most of the time. So distinguishing between hyperarousal, hypoarousal, high arousal is a state of anger and agitation and that code word. Well, I can't remember what generation. Are you a millennial? I don't know. Oh, okay. I think I'm just, I'm born in 78. So I think I'm just outside of it in Gen Z maybe. Oh, okay. or I don't know. So your generation, you're right, by the way, Ian, you guys are, are way, way um, ahead of the game in terms of recognizing I'm anxious. Anxious is a symptom of a description of your body's in a state of high arousal. You're vigilant, you're scanning, you're sort of bracing all the time. And the state of low arousal is, I feel sort of fatigued. Yeah. I feel sort of depressed. Yeah. I'm, I'm withdrawn. And both high arousal and low arousal are, again, to some degree, end up being sort of constant states of going back and forth between the two. Right. Again, often just related, mostly related to early experiences of trauma. And not being in your body to recognize um, that you're constantly going between high arousal and low arousal. Holy cow. Yeah. And, and also not recognizing that your very perceptions may be off. Uh, ultimately, in my, my hope for humanity is that we are able to find ourselves in a state of optimal arousal. Hmm. And that's related to, okay, with my eyes and my nose and my ears and my mouth and my gut, my whole body sense of safety. And now I can drop into this place of embodied self. Man, Teresa, and this is one of those things that you continue to say to me. And every time you say it, it's this weird um, paradox of, oh, yeah, I forgot. And I'm hearing it for the first time, which I can't really explain. But mm -hmm. it's this foundational stuff. And I, I still, <clears throat> I mean, you and I have been doing this. Uh, you know, I have some, we have some sort of external family trauma from about a decade ago. And, um, you know, we did it infrequently. But really, the last couple of years, I think, is where we kind of like kind of dug way in and it was so funny. Um, this idea of this untrustworthy narrator. Um, mm -hmm. I had this picture in my mind that, Oh, I can go back to Teresa, but I've kind of been there and done that. And Lauren mm -hmm. was like, my wife, Lauren was like, yeah, you've never actually stuck with it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? No, I, and I went to you and I was sure that you were going to make me feel better. And you always <laughs> do. And even when you, <laughs> even, even when you don't, you're really kind about it, but you're like, no, no, Ian, you're, Lauren's right. We never really dug in. I had such, um, again, I'm a writer, so I'm perceptive. I see myself in the world around me um, with pitch perfect clarity. And what I've really been learning through going through these years of therapy with you, including especially when we finally dug down and I started going weekly was... Of all the people in the world, I, I'm a very untrustworthy narrator. I've spent so much of my life yeah. in high arousal or low arousal that I, mm -hmm. I can just mm -hmm. spook myself or tell myself things. They're not even close to true, but they're soothing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, they're, they're just not anywhere close to reality. And man, I, I mean, mm -hmm. I don't like want to make this political, but this is such a like, mm -hmm. this is all of us, I feel like. Like, it's so easy. I Again, I was saying this earlier, I think we're incentivized. Mm -hmm. to not only not know ourselves, but to really, really embrace the thing that is just fucking miles away from anything true. 
because it's soothing. It's like, no, I think, I feel like what we're really at on this scary precipice of, um, I don't really know how to make the analogy work, but it's like, no, I'll hug, I'll hug the thing with fangs because my idea of the thing is soothing. Well, it's because it's familiar. It's in your, in your cellular structure and not just you, Ian, but this is an epigenetic phenomenon. Uh, it's a historical legacy that gets passed on generation after generation that um, in this current moment in time that we are living in America, uh, <laughs> <laughs> love it or leave it, um, is the phenomenon of um, our leadership is yeah. familiar um, for a lot of people who grew up in environments that were inherently not safe. So the not safe, if you're going to shut down and go away from your emotions, if you're going to leave your body, yeah. if you're not going to be in your right brain, if you're only going to listen to your left brain, Trump is the moment of, oh, this is familiar. This is like I'm falling off a log. I can do this. Um, I I follow this patriarchal uh, plan to be terrorized and and become either aggressive in response or check out in response. That's the the, kind of the culture of our um, society right now. Right. And, And I, and it makes me, I have a lot of compassion for us. We're all kind of just doing the best we can in a state of huge trauma. Yeah, you're be- you're more evolved in this area than I am. I I have you know like obviously <clears throat> you know this. My brother dies killed in a car wreck earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Dad a few months before, and I don't know how much of this is grieving or just you know maybe I'm doing maybe I'm doing the thing of again the stuff that seems so so you know basic like modest hopes for where we are. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. I'm in a, I just feel angry because mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. I do understand because I'm not better than people because I absolutely come from uh, the cocktail that many of us mm-hmm. experienced in uh, mm-hmm. growing up. Mm-hmm. But I'm also like, you know, that there are, we're not doomed in the, if we do, you know, if we turn up the ther- thermostat 10% in terms of doing the work and getting that outside help, and there's a variety mm-hmm. of ways to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to be, like the millstone in the ground kind of thing, like just the end mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. those called millstones, the things in the cemeteries. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what those are called. I don't know either. What is a millstone? That's the other thing. You told <laughs> it's something else. <laughs> well, a lot of times you've been like, holy crap, dude, you have a lot of religious language that comes out of you that you don't even realize. And I don't, I don't think I realize how much religious language. I think millstone is a Bible word that like, Oh, okay. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I want, I wanted to go back just for a moment. If you'll indulge me, Ian. Please, Yeah. Okay. So this place that me, Teresa, right now, I'm describing that I have compassion for these people, meaning I, I have an embodied sense of compassion for my people. Mm-hmm. My, my, where I'm living, um, and that you don't feel that. Well, remember that we're always well served to honor mm. what in the moment you are noticing and feeling your truth in this mm. moment. 
is the most important thing, not mine. Well, I definitely feel angry. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't. uh, I'm just noticing that and honoring that, Ian. Yeah, that's funny. See, this is still the, again, this is a, a real time example of even now, after many, many years, I will tell you the thing and then I want to put it away because Mm -hmm. I really, really, I want you to think really highly of me. You know, I want to like show I, there's this, there's this propulsive thing in me to show that I've got it all buttoned up. Mm -hmm. And when someone like you who knows me, first of all, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. If we actually know each other Mm -hmm. and who cares and I feel safe with, which there are few people I feel safer with than you. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're like, Hey, hold on a second. It's, this is kind of the only way we can do any work on ourselves. You know, Mm -hmm. if it's all fight or flight or hyper arousal or hypo arousal, and we're in this competitive environment where it's just, Oh man, I'm thinking about this a lot lately, Teresa, where everything's just transactional. Like Mm -hmm. I swear 2020 Mm -hmm. for me has been Mm -hmm. such an eye opening year. Mm -hmm. I know Mm -hmm. partially with the grief of my brother being killed, Mm -hmm. who was, you know, more of a father figure, but also my dad passing after the 30 years of near death illnesses. And just, you know, as you and I've talked about the ways that, uh, people, I don't know, it's got a, it's got a weird, there's been a weird freedom for me and a weird clarity. Mm -hmm. And one of the bits of clarity is Mm -hmm. that this whole thing is so deeply transactional. And by whole thing, I mean, whatever system mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the West, in the U S we're playing into every day, like mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I, I do it too. Like I'm not exempt, like the competition and the mm-hmm. envy mm-hmm. and the humble bragging mm-hmm. and just what it really creates in my opinion. And you can totally debunk this is this unspoken feeling that if everything's transactional, mm-hmm. then no one is safe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that the only way I stay safe is to strive, strive, strive to be at the top of the pile. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You were, you were absolutely right, Ian. It, it is being perpetuated and there's an implicit and explicit effort to um, really foster that sensation inside of you by our leadership, mm. by, you know, the people who really run us is Wall Street. And, um, that, that the patriarch is really going to work hard to protect their stuff, their, yeah. their gold, and to right. leave behind further and further and further, separating out the haves versus the have-nots. If you don't have – we'll take everything you have so that we can have more mm-hmm. – um, is aggressively uh, pursued. And you, you'd have to be sort of – I don't know. I don't want to disparage, but – you almost have to be sort of brain dead to not feel that. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think relates to, you're not brain dead, but you're, you're dissociated. Yeah. I love the costume. (laughs) (laughs) So you're at a great point. I don't want to miss. You're saying you're dissociated to what? Yeah. Yeah. You're dissociated to um, that sensation of being preyed upon. Oh, I gotcha. Okay. And, and eaten up. It's a cannibalistic experience. We are being eaten up, fork, knife, spoon, by the that 1%. And, you know, oh, that's not me, they say. But but that is them. If 
you know, for instance, football, which goddamn, I'll be honest, I was grateful for that Seahawks game yesterday. It just felt like, oh, it's a sunny fall day and the Seahawks are playing. Yay, everything's good in the universe. But then I think, oh, you know, that a lot of black men are being exploited. A lot of black men play football. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's their way out of uh, poverty, let's say, exploited, used up for our entertainment and um, the money, 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 money that drives um, football. And um, without, I guess, some sense of regard for COVID, um, that if you know those players get sick and die, well, there's it's okay. You know, we did our best and there's always another one we can use. It's kind of horrifying. Yeah, and, um, you know, the guys working in the slaughterhouses uh, who are all packed together like sardines and going down like fucking flies. <laughs> oh, it's right. okay. Because who wants that job? Well, if you want to eat chicken, <laughs> somebody's right. got to have that job. But those folks are expendable. Sandy Hook, I remember for a lot of us, was mm-hmm. the before and after moment mm-hmm. of, I use the language with you when I talk about relationships that have changed in 2020, mm-hmm. I use the word severing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that I don't strive to forgive. You know, that's my whole person of faith thing. I, I believe mm-hmm. forgiveness for myself and for others, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that I'll never, something happened and I'll never look at it the same. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't unlook at it the way that that behavior has mm-hmm. informed the relationship. Um, so I'll try to be kind and all that stuff. And for mm-hmm. a lot of people that I know, uh, Sandy Hook was that thing. It was like, I never, I don't care what your politics are. I never, ever thought in a million years that children mm-hmm. being gunned down in their place of education mm-hmm. would be, mm-hmm. that we would accept that blood sacrifice. I'm just, Mm -hmm. I'm still Mm -hmm. like, there's a couple Mm -hmm. issues where I'm like, no, this is not partisan or political at all. I Mm -hmm. collectively, I don't know that we have character Mm -hmm. because to your point, Teresa, we just, we just accept the sacrifices Mm -hmm. and that it was children. uh, I mean, I could cry every time I think about it in their place of education. It's the most Mm -hmm. horrific thing. Um, And as you said, you know, I have plenty of gripes with like Obama's policies, but that a leader could embody humanity and actually have Mm -hmm. tears after that and show helplessness and say, I would love to help, but you better get on the phone with your reps because the NRA has got everybody in their pocket and Um, I don't know how to help you. And this is beyond the pale. Like we cannot be these people, but to your point, there's just, I feel like more and more, whether it's like you said, the, you know, we're just willing to make, I think beneath everything, my fear is that we have been conditioned again, incentivized Mm -hmm. is the word Mm -hmm. I used Mm -hmm. to just accept that as long as, I have me on my terms. Mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck what happens to anybody else. So it's fuck the football players mm-hmm. or basically the kids that have been gunned down. Like there's mm-hmm. just, mm-hmm. we're adding to this list mm-hmm. of people where we're like, and you know, it's going to happen. There's going to be like a star football player mm-hmm. that God willing only catches this and survives it, but someone's going to get it. Like we're, but it doesn't, we're mm-hmm. just willing to make, in, there's a, there's a growing bucket of sacrifices yeah. we're willing to make for this this machine that's mm-hmm. never allowed to mm-hmm. stop. Yeah, right, right. Oh, I had such goosebumps as you described. I remember that moment with Obama, 
And what you're describing is a sensation, Ian, because uh, I had goosebumps over here, of what it feels like to have embodied empathy. Mm. That you don't look like that on national TV. You don't, you are not somebody who's going to cry unless you're in your body feeling the pain yeah. of those poor kids and their parents and their community and their families that you could tell this is a humane individual. I know he feels it. Right. This mixture of, you know, he was articulate. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's one skill, but more than that, it was this helplessness mm-hmm. mixed with anger. I love that. And just that he yeah. could feel that from, yes. you know, mm-hmm. the cliche of the highest office in the land. Yes. And yes. I, all of us who are just the garden variety people who just yeah. work mm-hmm. and want to make the world a little bit better, who mm-hmm. just felt gutted in a new way by that. Yeah. And that someone could show back to us that mm-hmm. I, I just, yeah. I, I needed that. Uh, it was weird yeah. how much that press conference, I, I can know. still see the way he looked. Yeah. And this is where I get really, not to again, be too political on this thing, but where I get really pissed off at what's coming up in November mm-hmm. and like, I'm all about it. Like we need systemic change, whether it's a Democrat or Republican, but where I get really mad is the, it all comes out in the wash. There's no great difference. And policy aside, I'm like, if you don't oh, think wow. there's a profound yeah. impact in terms of the posture and tone mm-hmm. of the guy at the top mm-hmm. and the way that sets the agenda for people, you don't know human behavior. Like it's, we need, we absolutely right. need, it's not everything. You know, we also need policy and X, Y, Z, but in mm-hmm. times of crisis, oh, yeah. we need yeah. someone who's going to look back at us and be like, my heart's broken too. Yeah. Versus like, oh yeah, fuck everybody. Here's the next thing I want to talk about. Right. And it's like, <laughs> how are those two things uh, this is again. Uh, this is where I'm angry. For adults, how are those two things similar? Well, you know, it's funny. We we keep trying not to talk politically, but it it's to me is such a, a, a it epitomizes trauma. Right. Yeah. Good point. Um, holding on, hanging on by a thread to the old and familiar ways. So, uh, I think honestly, I, I understand your anger, and I also I. We'll be honest, maybe I'm Pollyanna, but Ian, I think that um, uh, the response uh, by uh, this country, uh, even if it's not this election, at some point we will return to a moral compass. And that sometimes you need to shake, shake, shake the baby. That's not nice, but, um, you know, shake us up mm-hmm. uh, to wake us up. Right. Yep. I'm I'm riffing off of like little anecdotes on social media on the, you know, the Titanic sinking either way mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That uh, is irritating <laughs> to me, but I also think there is something explainable in that. In that, you know, Michael Moore's movie. A lot of a lot of articles have demonstrated that in the lack of the clear alternative that was provided by. I mean, actually, the first guest on this podcast, Sam Tannenhaus, mm-hmm. he's the historian who who can say this with authority, but that there was such little alternative provided mm-hmm. by the establishment Democrats that it also gave rise to Trump. It wasn't just yes, exactly. It wasn't just the racist underbelly. It, it was this right. like, well, I don't have anywhere to turn, so I'm not going to vote, or I'm going to vote for the guy who says wild and crazy stuff. So, right. I think in people's thing of total helplessness. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I yeah, I'm frustrated, but I also think you're right that there's a a thing in there of well, if we're all jumping off this deck and if either way we got to float in the water soon, I'd rather just put on my life preserver and be out there and see if the rescue boat comes. Like it's Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. people are losing the ability to kind of do the gradient thing and find the nuance and that this is slightly Mm -hmm. better than that. Right. Exactly. That's what trauma does, by the way, it it divorces us from that ability to see nuance, to discern and notice this and this and Hmm. this. And this, that's what trauma does. Oh man. I mean, this is, I'm really excited uh, to share this with people. I hope it's as helpful for them um, as you have been. And I think this conversation has been for me. Um, And we got like maybe five to 10 minutes left. And I really wanted, really wanted to kind of end with, again, I know, you know, they say obviously understanding healthcare in America, um, you know, therapy is a privilege. Not everybody can afford it. So what can we give people for free in an hour that hopefully gives them some tools? So hopefully this is a tool in mm-hmm. terms of sharing your mm-hmm. expertise, but also if we can end on uh, your grounding exercise in the final five minutes, and then maybe in the next five minutes before that, um, we just kind of pull a few tips that you might have for people. Um, you know, if yeah. the, our thesis today is that also sort of the subhead of the show, you know, we're sort of living in anxious times. And now in 2020, I don't think anyone's Mm -hmm. arguing about that. (laughs) Regardless of of where their religious or political affiliation is, we all agree. We all agree about the ship is, you know, racing for the, for the iceberg, whatever. So any tips that you have, um, just that people, are you, what would you say to the yeah. person that's just really, really resistant, but maybe they're like, you know, I, uh, yeah, I'm nervous to kind of try something new, but I do have this feeling and I, I speak from experience. This is the feeling I had of like, this isn't working for me anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's, this is not fancy advice. It's basically at the end of the day, truly connect is what I would do the power of right brain to right brain connection. That is to say, when you uh, are joined with somebody in terms of loving eye contact, Mm. um, vocal prosody, so your voice is sort of like, you know, "Mm, mm, mm -hmm." Mm. sort of like that one, like a mama. Mm -hmm. Uh, Doesn't matter your gender. Um, And um, loving touch, so connection is yeah. what I would advise. And, and this is my tagline. I don't think I'm alone. We don't do pandemics alone. Love <laughs> and connection in the time of COVID. Love in the time of COVID. Connecting with yourself. Connecting with a partner, your kids, your dog, your neighbor. <clears throat> you're almost looping us back around to the beginning, which is what I think your grounding exercise will do. But what I think you, mm-hmm. I hear you saying is that the way to combat um, – Hyper arousal. I'm just mm-hmm. going to say high and low because you're smarter yeah, than yeah. I am. High, the difference to combat high arousal anxiety and low arousal depression right. or PSD mm-hmm. is to return is to work on your equilibrium and mm-hmm. and where people sort of disparage again, bringing us back to the beginning, words like self care and breathing and mm-hmm. meditation and mm-hmm. you, like mm-hmm. there's a, a variety of ways to do it and no one needs to follow my cocktail. Mm-hmm. Um, but what that does mm-hmm. is 
we start relearning how to re-enter the present, even if the feelings are ugly. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like noticing yourself and slowing down to eye contact with spouse or significant other or rubbing the hair on your child's head, you know, just like these Mm -hmm. forcing yourself into those kind of things, which we call being present or intentionality. You know, yeah, I think that uh, two things, which is that you are using your own um, embodied, your power of somatic awareness. You're noticing the sensation as you uh, stroke your dog and you're noticing your heart rate and the relaxation in your whole body as you stroke your dog, that you can feel that, you can identify it, and you like it. It's soothing. It feels just right. And the same as you stroke your child's head or your or your uh, partner's hair um, or arm, noticing what happens to your whole self as you connect and talking. You know, that, that there's so much rapid and radical change coming and um, this is the thing that causes trauma is that we're, you know, we're going to be good at adapting, but we need able to slow it down in order to integrate all the incoming information. So it's helpful to be able to do that, to notice that and process, process that with another person, if possible. Mm-hmm. I think that's really what I'm going to come back to here is connecting slows it down. And as we talk, there's something really healing in the power of being able to describe, here is my present reality. Mm -hmm. And to be heard and cared about and listened to by another. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. Mm -hmm. Well, um, we'll end with a grounding uh, exercise, Mm -hmm. um, which I will kind of invite people to do with us as they're listening. Um, And I will just you know, set the table for that in a moment. But before we go into our final thing, which will be that grounding exercise. Um, yeah, Teresa, I love you. I, I mean, mm. it's funny that, you know, that phrase, I don't mean it much more for other folks in my life than I mean it for you. You're on mm-hmm. in that small handful of people who mm-hmm. um, has kind of uh, patiently walked me to a better place. And again, just a place of reality. There was there was so much sort of um, theoretical. Mm-hmm. I was spending so much time in my head in sort of theoretical places. Yeah. And um, I, I can't tell people enough that it's not like a, whatever the pejorative thing of new agey mm-hmm. kind of wacky. It's mm-hmm. all actually the opposite of that, that mm-hmm. all whatever words mm-hmm. we have used to describe, mm-hmm. it's about the necessity of um, building a more present aware foundation. Mm -hmm. And from there, you're still going to live your life. (laughs) You know, you're still going to play golf if you like it. It's not like you're just going to sit cross-legged and be a guru. It's it's weird how we have these, but, um, I love you. And I wanted to let people know, um, that Teresa is not currently taking new clients, but she did want to make herself available. If you've heard this, you know, whether you're in therapy or not or whatever, but if you have questions related to what we've shared about, um, she's happy to respond over email, although she's not taking new clients. Her email um, is Teresa Rogers, L I C S W. So that is T H E R E S A Rogers, R O G E R S, L I C 
SW, no dots or periods or anything, at gmail.com. You can reach out to her with any of these uh, questions about what we've talked about, and um, she'd be happy to um, throw you an answer or maybe point you in the the right direction if you're looking for a referral or something. Um, Okay, cool. So I always like ending by swinging back around to the beginning. And in the beginning, I listed about a dozen things, meditation, self-care, breathing, mindfulness, that for me before you and I kind of dove deep in therapy and for a lot of people I know just has that Mm -hmm. frou-frou connotation Mm -hmm. of arm's length. I don't want to touch it. Mm -hmm. And the thing I want to end on is having you lead Mm -hmm. this grounding exercise, which is (laughs) I was resistant to in exactly the same way of like, (laughs) uh, it was just, I wanted to crawl backwards up a wall. Me me too, by the way, (laughs) When, when I first started, I was like, Oh, I don't know about this. (laughs) <laughs> and, and like your advice of um, connecting, this is something that costs nothing mm-hmm. that people can do and they can, you know, they can listen to this mm-hmm. podcast as we're going to do it live and replay it. But I sort of sort of challenge people to like, don't decide about it, just do it and be embarrassed and uncomfortable and see if it helps. Because for me, anything that I do um, of the myriad of options out there, including this with you. I may find it embarrassing, but it works. <laughs> so, <laughs> so and, if, and can I circle back to something? Yes, please. Hey, Ian. Yeah. You know how much I love you too, by the way. I hope that you know that. You cut out there and I feel like you were saying something nice and I'm really sorry to ask you to repeat that. I was. No, I was, I was saying something really real and true which is how much I love you. And that, you know, we worked hard to create a a safe place for you, sweetie pie, to be loved up by me. And I appreciate and respect that you invited me in to to love you Hmm. and that you can feel my love for you. And I feel your love for me. And that's a powerful, that's a, that's the power of connection and the healing power of connection. So that's my, oh, thank you. I'd add that. Yeah. No, okay. thank you so much. And yeah. last thing I'll say before we do your exercise to, you know, if you get a piece of advice and I like to be, you know, armchair therapist, I'm subscribed to a uh, psychology today. So apparently that makes me an authority because I read like, you know, one article and then my ADHD, I get bored, but uh, I love what you said about connecting <laughs> <laughs> and I would also mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. what's now my like mantra or whatever tagline, but mm-hmm. I think I've just stolen it from you and repackaged it is start with what's real. So mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the conversations that your people that you would encourage people to have or the places where they go to just have that eye contact and to be with people um, when the converse, you know, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be, a chat fest. It can be silence, but when it is time to mm-hmm. talk, mm-hmm. like, man, if there's one thing that you have taught me that is so foundationally important, it's start with what's real, no matter how ugly it is. And the best description I have is if some, not, not a passing thought to like hijack people all the time with, Oh no, I, mm-hmm. I think this, but if it's something that's really lingering and a hang up, like it's like a beast with fangs, you're afraid that saying something is going to make it bite you. And in my experience, it makes the teeth of the beast fall out the minute you say it. 
if you're saying it to someone uh, who loves you and cares, and if you're saying it in a way that is like implying, I got a hang up. In other words, you're not doing it to sort of hostage take or, you know, terrorize the other person, mm-hmm. but you're like, mm-hmm. I'm, this is hard. Um, mm-hmm. that is, that's my tagline that I'm just stealing mm-hmm. from you. Like start mm-hmm. with what's real. Don't, yeah. don't recite the, you know, don't cock block yourself with the perfect religious slogan or the, no, we're doing great. It's like, that's mm-hmm. all the ways that we skillfully avoid getting anywhere positive. Mm-hmm. Love it. Okay, that's the end of my speech. All right, cool. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna shut up and um, let's uh, let's do your grounding thing, and I'm just going to do it with you. Mm-hmm. And then um, when the outro music starts, the listeners will know that we're done. And I hope that they find this as helpful as I have. So um, first, we're going to start by finding a place where you can locate your heart. It might be helpful to bring your shoulder blades forward and then let your shoulder blades drop back into place. And so now you're locating with your own somatic awareness, your heart, as it makes contact with the chair. It's the back of your heart. Now you're noticing the back of your heart. And with that noticing of your heart, you can start to notice that your heart has its own self-support. It's a place inside of you that holds self-compassion. And with that in mind, we can start our 10-point grounding meditation. So just start now by noticing the soles of your feet, under your feet, feeling the earth's presence this gift of Mother Nature, Mother Earth beneath your feet. Maybe slowly rocking your ankles back and forth, pressing first your toes and then your ankles, alternating toes and then heels, slowly rocking. rocking your feet back and forth and all the while noticing the presence of the ground under your feet. You may start to notice that the earth's presence is known to us through its vibrations. The earth vibrates at eight hertz. And as you tune in with the soles of your feet into that vibration, knowing that the earth's vibration matches our own heart rate variability at a state that's just right for you. The earth has a heartbeat that matches your heartbeat. Noticing the gift of gravity beneath your feet. And now feeling the energy of your sits bones as the gift of gravity brings you closer to the earth and your sits bones drop down, sensation of gravity pulling them down to the earth and the energy of the earth. 
Now letting the backs of your legs drop down, releasing into gravity if you choose. And now noticing your elbows and feeling them as they begin to drop down. And then your shoulders dropping down. And just gently letting your head drop, your jaw. And noticing how your sweetheart is protected, it's held snug as a bug by your own ribcage. And as you tune into the front and back of your heart, beginning to notice the beating of your own heart. Noticing the intervals of the heartbeat in its own rhythm, in its own time. And now maybe noticing what it might be like to breathe into that rhythm. And as you rest in the rhythm of your heart, resting as though you're in a hammock. A hammock that has, has its own rhythm. And maybe now slowly letting the rhythm move side to side a gentle rocking, rocking your own beautiful heart, a soothing rocking, the rhythm of the rocking, the rhythm of your heart and your breath, and gratitude for your heart. Noticing how your heart is able to learn and to communicate and to connect. 